Welcome to the GeoMob Podcast, where we discuss geo-innovation in any and all forms, be it for fun or profit. Hello again, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the GeoMob Podcast. Today, I am joined by Camilla Gonzalez-Arango, who spoke at our May GeoMob a couple of weeks ago. And Camilla works for Spare Labs, which is a company that is at the forefront of the transition to on-demand transportation that's happening all over the world. So her presentation was very interesting, had a very tactical case study of, of some of the work that they've done. Interested to talk with her about that and also just the general background on the what's going on around on-demand transport. Camilla, thanks for joining us today. It, please introduce yourself. How are you? Hi, everyone. Hi, Ed. Thanks for inviting me again. I introduce myself. I'm Camila Gonzalez Arango. I'm originally from Colombia, but I live in Barcelona six years ago. I've worked in sustainable mobility and innovation for a few years now. I have a background with in technology and then a master's in urban sustainability. So it's kind of a nice combination of both. And now, as you said, I'm working at Spare, a software company specialized in demand-responsive transport. Great. So, so what exactly is Spare? What, do you, what does it do and who do you work with? Who are the customers? Who are the users? Give, give us the overview. So Spare has developed a platform to manage and operate any kind of flexible transport operation. And here I'm referring to anything in between a taxi or a ride-hailing solution like an Uber or something like that and a bus line, like a fixed bus line. So all this spectrum can be covered by an on-demand transport service. So basically something that takes you from A to B that you request via an app or a phone call and that might be pooled or shared with other passengers. So this is a service that it's usually thought as a complement to public transport network. So our clients are mainly public transport operators. The service is usually run by by the operator themselves. It has great potential as a first and last mile solution in both rural and suburban areas, or specifically in those areas that are underserved by public transport in any way, and uh, which leads users and residents to the private car. So it's, it's like an alternative to fight the private car use in those low density areas. Right. So this, this is something we're seeing a lot of now in different cities. I mean, here in Barcelona, in the last couple of years, it's like, you know, everyone is switching to scooters. We have the bikes. I mean, this is a mega trend, right? Absolutely. But those are more thought for, for more like an urban environment. And, the, and this is more thought more for the periphery. So when you reach the metropolitan area, towns are beginning to be more spread out, density is lower, and demand therefore is quite low as well. So it doesn't make sense to make a bus line uh, every 15 minutes and, uh, or every hour because users don't take it because it's not a good quality service. And then the operator is spending lots and lots of money just keeping a bus going alone all day. So that's the use case that it's most used for. Got it. It, it also, it leads me to mention all kinds of non-fixed transport, because then you have special needs transport, elderly transport, community services, non-emergency medical transport, all these kind of services that are not covered by public transport. And uh, they usually work independently. We develop something that can approach this in a more holistic way. They could centralize all these kind of services in one same platform. 
When you say platform, you mean it's like an app or it's like a, a software basis that you're building and you give to the, the public transport operator? Or It's a software as a service solution. Okay. So it, it's a SaaS. Yeah, it, we have our driver app and our rider app as well and the platform that runs in a cloud-based technology. Gotcha. Okay. So in your May Geomob talk, you, you went in detail on a, on a project that you had done with the city here in Spain, on Mallorca, Palma de Mallorca. Do you want to dive into that or any more background issues that we, we should learn first about, about what it is you're doing? Yeah, so I like this, this Palma project. It, it kind of represents the flexibility that we can offer to clients. For those who don't know Palma, it's a, it's a medium-sized Spanish city, lots of tourism and therefore the seasonality. And this always comes as a challenge when you're trying to plan your, your public transport network. So the operator in Palma is called MT, M, EMT Palma. And uh, they had always this challenge of low occupation bus lines in the periphery, like a common challenge everywhere. They're usually closer, sorry, these areas, these low density areas. So the thing is that you have to keep providing services, but it's so expensive to run them empty buses. So you need some kind of alternative. They had been thinking about uh, implementing a demand responsive transport solution to replace those lines. And they wanted to do this with taxis instead of buses. And they've been thinking about this for a couple of years now. But it was only after the state of alarm was established in Spain due to the COVID emergency that they thought it would be a good time to finally implement this. So in the first phase, when well, we were in lockdown, uh, we all know that demand dropped significantly. There was up to 95% reduced in some cities. So it didn't make sense to, to maintain those fixed lines, but they still had to provide the transport services for critical workers. So, so yeah, that's where Sperry comes in. Our platform has this ability of outsourcing trips to third-party vehicles, in this case, taxis, but it could be taxis, ride-hailing, private vehicles, whatever kind of non-dedicated vehicle. So basically it gives operators a much a greater flexibility on how they run the service. They could have their fleet of dedicated vehicle, let's say their, their minibus uh, running this demand responsive transport service and then complement it with the taxis during peak times, for instance, because then in peak times, the waiting times increase, the quality of the service drops. So you can use these extra vehicles that are already in the streets, probably, instead of using just another of one of your vehicles. How does then the payment work? The the rider pays the driver yeah. or it's paid done via the app or that depends on whatever the platform the partner wants or how does it how does it work? Correct. It depends on the operator. In this case they want a service that is completely integrated with their public transport network. So what they do is they make sure that the user comes either comes with a bus or gets to a station where he can get a bus. So the payment is being done in the bus and not and not this taxi service. So right now they're providing the service, let's say, for free. But in reality, it's been paid before in another kind of vehicle. vehicle. I see. And then to pay the taxis, they've come up with, with flat fees depending on the distance that they cover. And by the end of the month, they download a report and they pay the taxi drivers, whatever they did. So, it, it, but it varies depending on the situation. Sometimes the client, the user 
pays a little bit more. Sometimes it's a shared payment with the PTO, with the public transport operator, and and then we can manage them all. So th that's how I want to reinforce the term flexibility in our solutions. I, I can imagine that must make life very difficult for you as the, the platform developer and operator to, to all kinds of different ways of paying, all kinds of different restrictions about like geographic restrictions of where the service can operate, time of day yeah. restrictions, all these kinds of things. So you, you must have an incredibly flexible system. Yeah, it's quite flexible. We have a very large and intelligent uh, development team. We have 25 people in, in Vancouver. And uh, it's interesting because in every implementation, every customer comes up with a new either <laughs> way of implementing it or a new demand or something else that should be included or taken into account. So we've learned from in five years doing this, we've learned from the majority of them. But oh, we always come up with new with new things. For Palma is already ex an expert on this platform and they have taught us so much on how you can do the closest to a fixed bus line, but doing DRT with taxis, with it, it's so incredible what they have done. So yeah, we, we provide all this kind of flexibility. But you mentioned in your talk at, at GMOP that it was a challenge to convince the taxi drivers that they were skeptical initially, or, or there was some resistance. Yeah. Why was that? Yeah, and I think this is, this is what I like the most about this project, because I think technological innovation can be achieved and, and we all have it, no? I think the innovative part of this of this project is the ability to engage other stakeholders and make them part of the of the solution like they like they did with taxis. And because they usually compete, no? Especially in Palma touristic place, you know, taxis don't like when there are new buses, for instance, because they it means that they lose clients. But in this case, as I think COVID was a good experiment because they didn't have any job either. So EMT, what the, what they did is like, look, we're, we want to help you and and make make this like a collaborative project instead of a competition. And, and I think that was the key for them to get involved. In Palma, they're freelancers, the taxi drivers. So it started with 10 that were convinced, then it grew to 20, and now they have more than 120 in the platform. How was the service received by the, the users, the riders, the passengers, I guess is the, the correct term? The riders, yeah, it's during lockdown very well except the first day where they didn't know what was happening but there was always a EMT person in the stop trying helping them to book the the trips now they know the the app they do a lot of phone bookings as well and they like it because it's a it's basically a better kind of service most of the times you go by yourself and then if, if there's too many, too much demand, then they put a minibus to increase the capacity. It varies all the time. Users are usually happy. There is always the citizens that, as in words of, of Manel, the EMT coordinator, he says, they just like to see the bus pass. You know, <laughs> they never use it. They're, they didn't miss it because they use it, but just because they, they think they deserve to have a bus running. And uh, once they try it, and the on-demand service, they really don't don't feel that necessity anymore, because their idea is to keep it for the future. So yeah, it's it's a hard work to to work with human behavior. Yeah, it'd be a lot simpler if we could just get rid of the humans. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was also quite a technical challenge to roll this out so quickly, right? And under the conditions of a lockdown, where you couldn't uh, talk a we bit about that. We couldn't travel. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So they. 
I think they called me on a Tuesday. We started doing the demo and everything. And on Thursday, maybe Wednesday evening, we signed the contract. And Thursday, we started the training. It's a half a day training online. And then we helped them design the zones, configure the services. And then on Friday, they were doing tests on the field. And Saturday morning, morning the service started operating. So it was a 48-hour lunch. I think we never did anything that fast before, but it was just the, the need. It was Easter, so they needed to try it during a holiday where they know they knew they weren't going to have that many people. And uh, yeah, we're very happy that we managed. We translated the app to, ca the, to Catalan and to Spanish because it was... It wasn't in that languages. We provided all the user material, the, the manuals, training material in Spanish. So yeah, it was quite a hard work. I think the, the hardest goes into the operator. I, I think they, they are the ones who, who have to work harder. In our case, it's uh, I think it's it's quite easy to do it. Well, yeah, congratulations. And I think the results are quite impressive. You have some stats here. The travel time has been reduced pretty, pretty drastically, right? I mean, can you win? Yes. Share, share some numbers. They started the operation with two two lines, so they replaced two fixed lines with, with the service and did a, an extra service among hospitals just to transport the critical workers. Now, three months later, they have 14 fixed lines replaced with DRT and they keep growing on their own. Every time I go and check up the service, they, they've made something new and different and they made another zone so it's completely self-serve which is also very very good for the operator and then they man they measure the time saving in uh, in the main drt line in the first one that they implemented and realized that the total travel time has been reduced by 33 percent with respect to the fixed route service that they had before which is i think once you show this to users it's also another argument for them to to just give it a try, at least. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it, that, that's really impressive. And uh, I think it's a good example of, you know, some of the new technologies that we now have, everyone having a phone, the phone being connected to a, a network of drivers, the phone always knowing where you are and mm -hmm. enabling this kind of on-demand thing. It can really change the nature of our cities, right? Because now all of a sudden you don't have people just waiting around for a bus. And I guess in both positive and negative ways. On the one hand, people don't have to wait around for a bus. On the other hand, you know, does it mean cars are being utilized more or the vehicles are being utilized more? So maybe you need less parking. You know, there, I think there are a lot of long run implications here. Yeah, I think there's no not one solution. Yeah, it has a lot of implementation things that can go wrong. So you got to take care of all these details into account. Let's talk a little bit about kind of the geo challenges of this type of project or the projects you're working on generally at, at Spare. And, and what kind of data sets are you using and, and how do you, you're typically like you get the data from the city or you're using open sources like OpenStreetMap or how, how does that work? So for operation phase, so we divide out our services into phases. Let's say we have a planning phase in which we have a, a simulation platform. The operation phase is like the day-to-day the -day admin of the operation. And then the analysis phase where we have like this dashboard with all the metrics. For the operation phase itself, we are actually the data generators. We, we don't need much data. We work on with OpenStreetMaps for, for the cartography, and then we get the routing from open source routing machine. Mm. Oh, 
OSRM. We also use Mapbox for our driver app and for many data visualization exercises. So, but the data, the, the rest of the data we generate instead of like getting them from our customers. And then in the previous phase, which is the simulation phase, we have a tool that it's called Spare Realize. It's basically to plan a better DRT service. And in this case, we use a lot of different sources. We use data provided directly by, by the agencies or our clients, forms of travel surveys, origin destination matrices, occupation data, ridership data, etc. Uh, we gather third-party data for basically demographics, so open source census data. We get the bus lines frequency out of GTFS data, and we combine all these different data sets. One to to kind of predict where a, a potential DRT solution can, can be successful. Or once you chose one, to simulate an operation with a little bit more accurate data, you know? How well does that type of simulation work? Because, you know, we always have these stories where it's like, you know, the city is like, oh, we're going to build a new, we're going to build a new highway and that will solve all the traffic. And, and they build the highway or whatever the road and, you know, three years later, you just have more traffic. You know, it, it seems yeah. like you never quite effectively predict what, what can happen. What's your experience there? How does it work? In, in our case, we only simulate on-demand transport. So we don't, we, we can take into account the fixed bus lines that are around it. But in reality, we only simulate what our performance will be like. There are many simulation tools that are super complex and they take into account all kinds of transport, even walking, cycling, public, private, and I'm sure they will be able to to provide much better data. In our case, it's just as in it's usually low density areas. It's not a very big area in in general, so it's easier, I think, for us to to come up with the simulation. And we basically put the all this data that we gathered. We run the whole. I mean, the, the algorithm is the same as the oper as when the operation is running. So we get the pretty exact metrics of more or less to give you an idea of how it will work. And I'm talking about waiting times for the user, uh, the number of vehicles that would be better, uh, the zone size. Also, you can play with this with these metrics. Hmm. And I believe you guys also you provide then an API, right? So other people can integrate to the system. Is, is that correct? Yes, I think this is key. And in fact, Half of our trips around the world are, are booked by a third-party application that's been integrated by our, our open API. We created it since 2018. And so, so in, in terms of the front end, for instance, we can offer either our app, but we encourage clients to use their own front end development or, or their existing application or a third-party mobility as a service solution or, or a web service that they come up with. And the idea is so that the user, if the user is already used to work in a, in a platform, that they can keep using it and we just integrate. And uh, I think that's, that's our strength also. It's part of our differentiators, just uh, removing barriers in this kind of sense. Got it. We were talking before, you shared with me that you also worked on another project previously before joining Spare with, uh, here in the city of Barcelona with about looking at bike parking. 
and the bike parking options yeah. obviously it's a big problem in Barcelona with kind of theft of bikes and 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 so for the city to plan like you know where should they put bike parking and things like this tell us a bit about that project mm -hmm. and and how you how you went about that and what the lessons were that you learned there yeah so we created the project it's called Aparcavici BCN which is like parking bike Barcelona and um and we were awarded a grant from the Barcelona City Council to make a collaborative and qualitative inventory of bicycle parking in the city, basically. It wasn't a project for the City Council. It was more like they provided some of the funding to, to do the project. So our idea was to to collect all this data, but from the user perspective, we wanted to also complement the quantitative data that the city council has because sometimes it's not completely updated. And then, but then we wanted to give it this this qualitative, perceptive part from the users. Yeah, just to like raise awareness of the security and the the theft and the maintenance, the cleanliness of of the of the public bike. Uh, racks in, in Barcelona. So we developed this uh, kind of very simple platform. We used ArcGIS as the, as the backend and uh, we used the um, crowdsource reporter to develop just this simple frontend in which users could provide their, their perspective. We did it two years in a row. It was The first was quite open to all of the city with all of the parking and to everyone, which was a little bit hard. And then the second, we focused on intermodality with the train. So so we did it only on train stations. If it was a success or not, I guess I guess it was not in, uh, as we know, success in stage one, for instance, when it was purely collaborative. It was very hard to get people on board. We were two organizations, very little resources. We didn't get any help from the city, only the fund, the 50% the of the funding. But then we realized that we needed lots of communication resources. The dissemination is very hard. Getting people on board is extremely difficult. We approached several organizations, activists, NGOs, the city council, the metropolitan area, but still it was, it was very, very hard. So we got some data, but nothing you can really like extrapolate or come up to, to a conclusion. So that's why it's a very qualitative work i think in the end well this is the the negative aspect of crowdsourcing right is that when crowdsourcing works it's fantastic but when it doesn't when you when you're unable to get the critical mass of people contributing and you're unable to to get it going then you never you know your data set isn't complete so is it good enough is it really representative is it and it's a big challenge and then then of course even once you have some data how do you motivate people to keep maintaining it and keep going with it beyond an initial hype phase it can be hard. It can be very hard. Absolutely. I think we realize there it requires a lot of organization, lots of resources. It requires that you go into an user-friendly application because if people don't understand it, then they won't use it. So you tend to think that everyone is as excited as you, but then, but then it's usually not the case. So I think this kind of, of projects, and I think there are very successful ones, but it's because they're very well structured and very well funded, let's say. I know of a lot of initiatives that have been very successful and and participatory processes that work. But yeah, I think I would do it again if it was if we had these characteristics. And otherwise, I wouldn't. I, I think many people underestimate how much how much coordination work and motivational work and educational work is needed to keep some of these projects going. 
And someone has to do that work. Either you have someone who's paid to do it or you have someone who's highly motivated. But regardless, the work has to be done. And if it's not done, then it's easy for projects to stagnate and, and not go forward. Yeah. So I definitely underestimated that in the beginning. <laughs> it was a nice experience, though. Come on, this has been very interesting to hear your perspective on. I mean, as we all see with our eyes every day, the, the way that we're moving is changing quite a bit. And in, in cities, in the countryside, it would be a... Uh, modes like like cycling and switching to on-demand, switching to per-use payment, uh, cycle mm -hmm. higher and things like that. It's a very exciting space. And actually, we we first met at the Move 2020 conference in London, I think back in, when was that, February, which of course seems, yeah. seems like a different world now. But it was a very cool conference. I mean, it was huge. There were thousands of people there. and But, you know, hundreds of different exhibits all about all the changes going on in this space. Big companies, small companies, startups, people making the actual transport devices, people making software platforms like yourself to manage the that whole transition. So as someone who's deeply involved in the space, what are what are some of the trends that you're excited about and what, what should we be looking for? Okay, so I'm, I'm also constantly surprised with all the solutions out there. For me, the most exciting trends are not necessarily the most innovative te technological solutions but rather the ones that like the that make sense on the the environment that are that they're meant to to work no and that and that they know their role in the problem solving scenario and mobility is it's it's great because every solution thinks they are the solution and there's no such thing in mobility it's got to be a combination because there are many kinds of different people different kind of environments you gotta be, give the alternatives to private car, but that better fits the characteristics, lifestyle, and uh, demographics of, of, of people. For instance, our product is not made for any city or any environment. I would never suggest it in a crowded city center with a proper metro network, because it makes no sense to run at the same time of a metro. But then when the train reaches the periphery and demand drops, then there's a good time to use it. So I think every situ every solution has its own uh, like scope and, and target. So I believe there's got to be like a great amount of mobility alternatives so people can choose whatever fits them better. But to have them integrated so they can communicate and work together, I think it's key. So all the platform integrations that we're seeing are very important. All the initiatives like mobility as a service, which are just like trip aggregators where people can choose their mobility providers, but they get all the options. I think we're moving towards that kind of solutions. And I think that's what the user, at least in terms of the user, is going to be more, more beneficial. And I think it's very hard to, to do proper partnerships like public private partnerships because this all of these mobility providers I, I think they all at the same time cannot be profitable no so so to make something that it's profitable and at the same time it's beneficial for the city and for other stakeholders I think that's the key to 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 come across these partnerships and uh, and of course I think uh, I'm always an advocate for walking and cycling and uh, I think that's uh, that's one of the big solutions that we have to to encourage infrastructure for those. Well, I completely agree with that. As someone here in Barcelona, the the one aspect of the lockdown that was fantastic was the improvement in air quality that we saw immediately yeah. when the you know the level of traffic went down. So, uh, yeah, we definitely need to and think of ways to increase again now. 
yeah, now and now, unfortunately, A, it's gotten hotter and B, also the, you know, the traffic is back. So, but yeah, very, very exciting space. So much innovation around, you know, the hardware, around the software. It, it, it sounds like there needs to be a lot of innovation also around uh, the financing models, as you say, the, the public partnership, public-private partnerships and how, who's going to pay for these services and how they can be deployed. Thanks for sharing your perspective today. It's, it's, and, and for speaking at GeoMob a couple weeks ago. Very, very interesting. And there's a space we'll, we'll keep our eyes on. What, it's um, my pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, sure. What's um, the best way for people to get in touch with you if they have any questions? So my email is camila at sparelabs.com. Camila is with one L only. I think that's the best way to get in touch. Perfect. We'll make sure to get that in the show notes. And thanks again. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks, everyone, for joining us today and listening to the GMOP podcast. Hopefully you've enjoyed the discussion. Please don't hesitate if you have any feedback for us or any suggestions for topics that we should cover in the future. You can get the show notes over on the website, which is at thegeomob.com. While you're there, if you're not yet on the mailing list, please do get on the mailing list where we once a month send out an email announcing future events, summarizing past events, and just generally sharing uh, events that you may find of interest. You can also, of course, follow us on Twitter, where our handle is geomob. You can follow Steven at Steven Feldman. You can follow me at Fryfogel. You can check out Mappery at mappery.org. And of course, if you need any geocoding, please check out my service, which is opencagedata.com. We look forward to you joining us again at a future episode and of course, seeing you at a future GeoMop event. Hope to see you there soon. Bye.